This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam. Streaming on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at DCAUReview.com. Now, here's today's episode. Welcome to episode 86 of the DCAU Review. I am your host, Cal, and with me, our other host, my good brother and good friend, it's Liam. Liam, we are smack dab in the middle of two different holidays, wrapping up our final edition of the DCAU Review decade of 2019 it's a momentous occasion today so very excited and we're wrapping up our month uh, with the with the justice leaguers yep this is our this will be the final time we talk about the justice league in 2019 yeah there you and go. uh yeah it's a it's an interesting episode to wrap up on but uh yeah excited to finish up this month and move on to the new year that's right uh we're very very excited we started out this year and uh i believe what, what did we start with? I don't even I remember. Believe, I believe we started the year with Batman the Animated Series. All right. We did uh, We did a lot of great episodes this year. Uh, we'll we'll do some reflection and year in review, hopefully, on the Twitter account in this upcoming week. Yes. Don't forget, follow us at DCAU Review. Liam does all our tweeting over there. Uh, but for today's episode, before we end 2019 and get all nostalgic about the year, uh, we will talk about today's episode, which is going to be, Liam, Wild Cards Parts 1 and 2. Yeah, uh, this is a really interesting episode, and we will get into the plot of the episode, we'll get into talking about all of the great stuff and interesting kind of behind-the-scenes uh, stuff that makes this episode fun. But before we do, I, of course, have to read the IMDb synopsis. Hopefully it's better episode. than last week's episode, which was one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> this is also one sentence. Okay. It's pretty succinct, okay. but it does pretty accurately uh, encapsulate what happens. All right, we'll figure that out. All right, and this is the synopsis for Wild Cards Parts 1 and 2, which were written by Stan Berkowitz and Dwayne McDuffie and were directed by Butch Lukic and Dan Reba, and those synopses read it such. The Joker creates havoc in Las Vegas with his royal flush gang. And for part two, the synopsis reads as such. The Joker's real plan becomes apparent when he unleashes Ace upon the Justice League. Okay. Yeah, not not a lot of uh, interesting or <laughs> uh, light shed on what exactly happens. This episode is very succinct and to the point. Uh, this episode actually originally dare, uh, debuted back on December the 6th, 2003, so 16 years ago. Of course, it aired on Cartoon Network, as all of these episodes did. So, Liam, as you alluded to in that such a, so great, succinct description of this week's episode this is an episode that features the joker and of course this is a this is the uh, penultimate episode of the the season and really wrapping up the justice league series as a whole here before they move towards justice league unlimited of course yes i don't know that we knew that at the time and certainly this wasn't an episode that we we didn't have this one on tape this is not one that we saw a whole bunch but it uh, it does uh, it does serve a, a main purpose in the the continuity here because there are, are several things in this episode that 
come into play later on throughout Justice League Unlimited. Absolutely. So yeah, as as the uh, the synopses mentioned, it is the Joker is the villain of the of this piece, and the episode starts with him taking over basically all of the tel- the cable news networks and announcing that he's planted a bomb uh, somewhere in Las Vegas. So the Justice League, of course, descends on the city. Which point they're accosted by the the new or really this is technically the first I guess but for us it's the new Royal Flesh Gang mm-hmm. uh, featuring uh, a and these characters unlike the ones we run into in Batman Beyond have superpowers so they are in fact a ma- a physical match for most of the Justice League and from there we also find out that the Joker didn't just plant one bomb he planted twenty four bombs. There you go. And so they, the Justice League is forced to split up and handle all these bombs, all the while having to fight these crazy Royal Flesh Gang kids. And uh, and then once the bombs are finally taken care of, as as mentioned in the synopsis for Part 2, it turns out that, that the bombs were really just kind of a setup for the Joker's real uh, punchline, which was using uh, Ace's uh, powers of mental manipulation to drive the 70-some million people watching on television insane. Um, and It's a tale as old as time, as we, <laughs> as we like to say. Yes. A uh, couple things before we move on, move on and, and really get into the nitty-gritty here in the plot. First yeah. of all, I think this is the first time in the DCAU, from my recollection, that a real city is used. <laughs> so Las Vegas exists. Obviously, it's the right. United States of America. But typically, we, we're used to them dealing with... I, and I, I, could be, I could be wrong. There may be another example, maybe in Superman, where there was a real city that was that was used but typically the the cities that the superheroes occupy or or defend or call their home base tend to be tend to be um you know uh, not euphemisms but uh, allegories for real u.s cities this is the first time las vegas is a legit city and actually I i think they use it pretty well it's it's a perfect backdrop and we'll get into that in animation and visuals i'm sure but it's a perfect backdrop for not only the joker as a goofy insane character but it adds a lot to the plot as far as um as visuals and 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 great backdrops for making things look interesting the other thing that I was going to say uh, here is that uh, that tale as old as time here with this uh, Royal Flush Gang and, the, and their superpowers, it's, it's done in a really cool way because the entire broadcast is what you're watching. So there's yes. a clock in the bottom left-hand corner the entire time, keeping track in real time. And I think, from my recollection, there's there's either audio commentary or an interview that Bruce Tim did where they talked about this, wanting to do this idea of a real-time 24-style, yes. 24 the television series-style episode where they people were able to keep track at home. And then they sort of married it with this episode of The Joker with The Joker doing a countdown clock for bomb so um now of course there's a couple other subplots or the the main subplot in this beyond the joker and his bombs is green lantern and hawk girl and their romance which we touched a little bit on last week that they really 
kind of went heavy. It was their first unofficial first date. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because these episodes sort of went out of order on the, on the DVD, but, um, but uh, on air date, this one aired before comfort and joy. Right. But we have, we have them really, really laying heavy and, and starting out that, you know, there's, <laughs> there's some interesting uh, dialogue done at the beginning where they don't really tell you what they're, what's going on <laughs> and it sounds overtly sexual. And then it just turns out they're trying to hack into bank accounts or something like that. Yes. Uh, which leads to to uh, later on. There's a there's a part where Green Lantern's trying to defuse a bomb, and uh, and Shire is there and and attempts to say, you know, they're they're attempting to defuse the bomb. Joker makes the bomb explode, and then John is injured. So Shire leaves the leaves the uh, the battle altogether, much to Batman's chagrin. Uh, and then it ends. The whole episode ends with them. Probably having sex in the watchtower. Yeah, we we cut away. Like it's it's uh it's tasteful, but yeah, <laughs> it ends with uh uh you know with them kissing, and then it sort of just fades out, and we just see the we just see the watchtower, and they they didn't go too overt with it. We didn't see like a train running through a tunnel or anything, but uh, or anything like that. But yeah, it was uh it was yeah that's so this I mean that's a big deal though, obviously because of what that sets up for. Starcross for what we know happens you know eventually these two make a baby yep um who we see in batman beyond so this is a big moment and especially because it's coming so close to in the episode order at least uh to where Starcross happens it it is like one of the big seminal moments that we've talked about there they've been they've hinted at it Going probably all the way back to it's not an episode we've reviewed in full, but uh, like War World, kind of any episode where Green Lantern and Hawkeye were paired together, yep. they're always fighting, they're always bickering, and if it's all kind of coming to a head in the midst of this, and then John is injured in the, in the explosion, he chooses to basically use his ring to get Hawk Girl out of the building to protect her rather than try to shield himself. And that leads, as you mentioned, to her leaving the battlefield, and then we we get our little epilogue to the episode of of them having their first kiss and probably other things. And <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's so it's it's really it's a really interesting episode because you look at a character like the Joker, as beloved of a character as he is, as much as we love the Joker on this show, he has a lot of trouble with Batman, you mm-hmm. know. And if you throw Robin or Nightwing or Batgirl into the mix, he's kind of like at his wit's end a lot of times when we mm-hmm. see him. Mm-hmm. So the idea that they created a, a plot that works this well, where basically just the Joker, and obviously he has super-powered henchmen, right. but that the Joker came up with this plot to stop not just Batman, not just Superman, but the Flash and Green Lantern and Hawkgirl as well. It's it's really, really well done, and it doesn't feel like it's a stretch that he's just he's just running them ragged by having them have to go all over the city and then and then using the mental powers at the end, which uh, admittedly is sort of a a Deus Ex Machina ending where it just so happens she has this power and this was his real plot all along. But again, it works for what it is, and obviously a lot of this stuff gets retconned later into the Cadmus arc and mm-hmm. even some some lines about maybe that. In, would imply that the Joker also procured the technology that he used to uh, rewrite Tim Drake's DNA mm. while he was on this field trip. Mm-hmm. That's more of a theory, I think, than any... But they do mention that he used technology from Cadmus to turn Tim Drake into the little Joker in, in Return of the Joker. So 
there's a lot of this not only has like important stuff in the Hawkgirl and GL stuff, but it's kind of important to the what we know or where we know the Joker character is going mm-hmm. for the rest of the DCAU timeline. So, like I said, I think they did a really, really good job um, overall. There's not a ton I can find wrong with it. I went with a very strong 9 out of 10 for my plot. Okay. I just think it's it's really well done. I like even some of the smaller beats, like the Flash being very like unsure of himself when he has to disarm the bomb and Finally, at the end, when the last bomb is about to blow up, and there's no way to disarm it, and there's no way to stop it, he takes you know takes the chance that he is in fact fast enough to run it out of the city and and get it away, and and then get get himself away in time, and he does succeed. And I thought that was a kind of a cool little flash moment, which is it's not a big thing, but it's a moment where he chooses to be the hero in a way that he doesn't know he's going to survive. Well, and I think that's one of the, the interesting things about this character, and we always talk about different character development and playing on the the sort of. I don't know the the stereotypes of the character, and this this version of this Flash is very headstrong. He's very goofy. Yes. He doesn't he doesn't typically use his brain. He usually runs before he thinks. <laughs> and in this episode, that's even it, it's clearly well known that 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 the Flash is not known as the smartest of the of the superheroes because the Joker makes several comments about it, and is even sort of mocking him as he's trying to trying to disable the right. bombs. And the fact that in the end, the Flash was smart enough to realize, hey, I can run faster than this bomb is going to actually explode and I can actually get it out of the city. So it doesn't, you know, I don't have to figure out which wires I have to dislodge. So he actually uses his brain to outsmart, brain coupled with his power. So really, really, really cool. Yeah, strong 9 out of 10 is good. I I went 8 out of 10. And the only only nitpicky thing I I think that brought it down a little bit is is that I, I get... The the first part and the plot of them chasing the bombs is so fun. Mm-hmm. It's it's really really enjoyable, and the battles between the Royal Flush Gang and matching up against the different superheroes is really really excellent and and done really really well. And then there just seems like this sort of steep drop off the cliff when it's like <laughs> Joker's like, oh well, the bombs weren't really what I wanted anyway. I wanted to use Ace's powers, and it's it's okay, it's okay. And but then when it even takes like I, f- I felt even goofier that the way that ultimately that Ace is defeated is that Joker just happens to have this headband on him, <laughs> and the headband was used in the storyline. They say that this headband was placed on her as a child in order to suppress her powers and to sort of control her by this Professor Xavier like character yes. that that was uh, in charge of this laboratory where she was she was raised, but. Joker just happens to be carrying it on him. Batman just happens to reach into reach up to the Joker's lapels right. and feel this and pull it out and show it to Ace, and she just happens to react at that moment and decide that she's going to turn on the Joker. It's just like, ah, like, <laughs> like it just felt like, I don't know, felt like a little bit of a letdown, and I f- it felt a little bit like. Um, I, I liked the the Batman playing on Harley's jealousy in order yes. to get him to lead her lead him to the Joker to get her to lead him to the Joker. But man, it just felt like there was just a steep drop off, and the Joker is just kicking the crap out of Batman. Yes. And it's like, man, how's he going to get out of this? And it just hap- It's very happenstancey. Yeah, I almost think it would have been better if you waited to have harley enter the scene until that moment where bat like have batman get there first somehow sure 
and have him confront the Joker and be getting beaten down, and then you have Harley confront the Joker, and that distracts everyone. And Batman's... or maybe she just attacks Ace, right? Or that, and Ace is so concentrated on trying to destroy Batman, right? That Harley Harley's jealousy comes through because mm-hmm. Joker really doesn't get his comeuppance from Harley. He there's physical violence that we see yes. the Joker smack the crap out of Harley Quinn. That, yeah, they they cut around it so you don't actually see the hand connecting but yeah he straight up back cancer in this episode she goes flying through like a partition or something yeah. on top of it and is like knocked out so it would have been good to see some justice delivered by harley and i get it wasn't a harley arc it wasn't she was a very minor player in this episode right. but uh, that that I feel like that that could have been done just a little bit different, which brought my score down just just a tick because that the bomb sequence and everything from part one is tremendous, mm-hmm. leading all the way up to the the ace reveal. I thought it was just a it was really really almost perfect, I would say. And then it's just a little bit of a drop off and disappointment in how things ended up. But overall, still a strong score from both of us. Agreed. All right, Liam, let's talk about visuals and animations here. So I, I I alluded to it a little bit before. This episode takes place in Vegas. There's a lot of neat tricks that they do uh, because Joker is, is doing a television broadcast. <laughs> so you have, in different scenes, you see cameramen working cameras uh, following around the Justice League, which I thought was a neat touch. that they, The cameras just weren't floating out there in space. You right. actually see people carrying TV cameras yes. around to film the Justice League, which I thought was a nice touch. You have the clock in the corner, as I mentioned that keeps track in time of uh, of these bombs that are going to explode and uh, the scenery that we talked about and, and you know I touched on briefly it, it being in Las Vegas and having these casinos and these larger than life sets that mm-hmm. are that are basically design pieces straight out of a of a 1940s batman or 50s dick sprang batman era or uh even a 66 batman 66 episode that Mm -hmm. these larger than life props that are actually realistic (laughs) to las vegas right so it works really well without seeming goofy in this episode what were some of the visuals that you appreciated yeah, um, the biggest one for me is probably just the design of the Royal Flesh Gang. Sure. Um, like we said, obviously, in actual real-world chronological order, this is not the first time we've heard or seen the D- uh, the in the DCAU review. Or, excuse me. Yeah, so th- I think my favorite part was probably the just the design of the Royal Flesh Gang. Um, obviously, as we said, in real-world time, this is not the first time we've seen the Royal Flesh Gang in the DCAU. But they had really striking designs in in Batman Beyond, and they came up with very different designs for this version of the Royal Flush Gang. But that also, I think, still felt good and still felt like they belonged with those names. Um, I think uh, a lot of the a lot of the character designs in in those parts and the way their powers are visualized too, I think, is, is really done. It's like uh, you know, Ten is just like a big strong dude. So there's not that much interesting, but he has like the big red vest and he has the little uh, club symbol over his eye. And mm-hmm. um, and some of this we'll get into in voice acting as well as why these perform, why this particular version of the Royal Flesh Gang is so memorable. But um, I, I really like the design. I like the part Queen uh, grabs a bunch of metal and like makes herself a makeshift suit of armor out of it. I thought the visualization of her magnetism powers were very cool. Uh the fight scene between Jack and Batman is really cool. Jack can stretch, and he's basically a, a plastic man or a Mr. Fantastic. And there's a great part where Batman's walking through a casino. As you mentioned, all these cool back 
rounds you can do. One of them is there's giant playing cards, and Jack is blended in as the Jack, the giant Jack card, and gets the drop on Batman that way. I thought that was really, really cool. So I think for me, yeah, as as in addition to what you mentioned with some of the great backgrounds and, and, and sets, for lack of a better word, that they used... Uh, I also thought just the the overall design of the Royal Flush Gang and the way their powers were visualized was really well done. Yeah, I, I think that those certainly are the standout. There was a couple additional things that that were that stood out to me also. One is this is the first time we get to see Hawkgirl without her mask. True. And we know yes. that moving forward through Justice League Unlimited, she doesn't put the mask back on. Right. After after Starcrossed, so uh, it was interesting. And it, one of the details that I noticed is that um, when she has her mask on, you can't really see the color of her eyes. But when she takes her mask off, her eyes are green, which of yeah. course is ironic. Or I'm sh- <laughs> and I'm sure not an, not not by any sort of mistake, as she's her favorite person at that time yeah. is, is the Green Lantern. Um, but th- I thought that was a neat neat oh neat visual. Um, I did have did have a little so. Joker looked a little weird at, at certain parts. I don't know mm. what it was. His forehead looked super large at points. I know yeah. this is the Justice League design, but there was something, I don't know, off about just his face. Yeah, I feel like it was the, almost like the shape of his head. He was like a little too square. Yeah. Because um, even if you look at like uh, Injustice for All or his appearance in Static Shock or any of those times we've seen this particular design sort of amalgam of original batman animated series and new batman adventures joker um return of the joker obviously being the the debut of that design uh it's still pretty it's like he still has a very angular face with a big pointed jaw and this was almost like he has a very square flat head and then just he still has the you know the jaw that comes to the point or the chin that comes to a point but yeah he he just and maybe it's just the way they were trying to shoot him because he's sort of standing straight on looking into a camera for most of the episode maybe that's part of it they were just trying to do like a visual trick but yeah i I would agree that the joker looks a little off even compared to some of the other appearances of this uh redesign that we've seen absolutely there was there was one or two at least one time where he looks into the camera too that was almost a visual mirror of something from batman i think it's where uh terry is also uh, oh no, he's being chased by the giant sky beam in Return of the yes. Joker, where he says, uh uh uh, Papa Spank. <laughs> he like waves his finger in the camera, and there's a very similar, similarly visual um, scene where he says, he does the same thing, I think, when maybe Flash is trying to, he doesn't say the same line, but it's a very yes. similar, similar, uh, similar delivery and, and, and visual to that. So I thought that, that was something that stood out. Very strong overall. I, I, I did like the Royal Flush, Flush Gangs powers and and certainly their visuals um something weird i I don't know that the the ace the ace design something about her eyes and i guess it's very similar to the to the return of the joker uh tim drake eyes which are just terrifyingly creepy (laughs) yes and I, I I think that's what they're going for, but at the same time, it doesn't look like the Bruce Tim designs character right. designs, which throws it a little bit off. That's a nitpick. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we do here. Yeah, and I'm sure that's sort of the point. She's supposed to look like you know a creepy kid from a horror movie or something. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I I agree. She does look a little out of place in in that way. And we didn't mention this, but in in plot and then somewhat visually, there's sort of implied that like 
the Joker is grooming her. Yeah, Batman um, Batman alludes to it, which causes the jealousy thing, despite the fact that she's a child. Yes. Um, so there's like, and there's like a lot of shots of her, him, Joker, like rubbing her shoulders in a real weird way and being like real touchy with her. That that's a little skeevy. But there's also uh, beyond all the creepiness, there's also some like some fun little visual gags. Like Joker pulls out these giant novelty glasses <laughs> at one point to look to see how much time is left on the countdown clock, and that was good. And some some of that stuff. So they they do some uh, some fun stuff. I, and again, we'll get more into this in voice acting certainly. But uh, despite his design being off, I do think they did some some fun things with the Joker visual in the in this episode. I agree. I went with a um, a very strong eight out of ten for my score. What about you? Yeah, and I'm uh, <laughs> right at the exact same score, in fact, <laughs> as an 8 out of 10. There you go. All right. Uh, moving forward, Liam, let's talk about music. Um, there were a few – there's music throughout this episode. The music that stood out the most to me that, I, that I'll mention, and then if you, um, we can definitely discuss it and if there's anything else that you had to mention. Sure. The music that stood out to me was actually in those very ending scenes with Batman and Ace – you hear the Shirley Walker Batman theme come in a little bit. It's played yeah. in a minor key, it's a like little weird very slow going on. It's very slow. So, you know, as Ace turns her powers on Batman and he starts, you know, the room starts spinning and he starts seeing these visions of things that aren't there, the theme sort of sort of crescendos. And then once once Ace turns on the Joker and sort of lobotomizes him for mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, uh she there's this these like very subtle strings that were were a callback to Batman the animated series to me it was you know you hear a lot of for me for Justice League the things that you hear a lot of is clearly keyboards keyboard sounds like sounds that are made to sound like other sounds keyboard strings keyboard organ stuff like that that are coming through that are not the actual legitimate instruments being played it's sort of a faux version of that which is okay and that's what the style of the music is typically for for this but this was sounded like authentic real orchestral strings that came through at the end and what it was a completely original theme but it reminded me so much of batman the animated series that uh you know it it was i was like man this is really good i don't know what this theme is and i'd be curious to see if they then go ahead and use that if that's the ace theme do they use that theme later on in an epilogue yeah i don't know we'll we'll have to tune in and see when we we get to that episode someday we'll but yeah, that that's interesting. I like again. We we bring back. We talked about it a little bit last week. Uh, the GL Hawk Girl love theme that you, that played. I think originally in the Savage Time. I want to say um, that that kind of comes back a few times throughout this episode. Um, certainly, like it plays sort of in a in like a softer minor key at the beginning when they're arguing, and then certainly when when Hawk Girl is sort of taking care of John after the explosion, and then finally kind of swells into this big romantic score at the end as they you know as they have their first kiss and everything i thought that was well done and then yeah other than that it's it is mostly a you know what you would expect for a justice league episode a lot of up tempo fast paced music i like some of the percussion there's like there's some conga drums in there mm-hmm. that i that i liked especially it's in it's in the scene where jack and uh batman are fighting in the like the volcano room um they added in some like 
I guess, culturally appropriate, like, Hawaiian-esque. Yeah, it's drumming. a Hawaiian, yeah, it's supposed to be Hawaiian-themed yeah. or, like, Samoan-themed yes. type. so there's, like, some percussion there that I thought was that was really well done, and I personally play the drums, so I'm always, I always, I always like when I get to talk about percussion. There you go. The, <laughs> on this show, I don't do it too often. <laughs> Cape movement and percussion, Liam's, <laughs> Liam's two favorite what, things. That's my stuff, that's, my, that's, what, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm known for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But yeah, overall, I thought the music was good for what it was. Maybe not great, maybe not all-time great, but I went with a, a pretty strong 7 out of 10. I'm right there. I went 8 out of 10 for music. I, I think those those that last scene really pulled it up for me mm-hmm. and uh, really really le- left a lasting thought on it. Not perfect, but but good. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our voice actors, Liam. We have some really cool <laughs> guest stars this week that we're excited to talk about. You alluded to it before. Uh, of course, we have some returning favorites, and of course, one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time, <laughs> plays a major role in this. Let's talk about our voice cast this week. Yeah, so uh, the first one of the first voices we hear, actually, is it's a fun little cameo because of who he plays later on in, in Justice League Unlimited. We hear the voice of John C. McGinley, who's playing like the network executive, who, of course, plays the Adam slash Ray Palmer, and you would know him uh, from Office Space or from playing Dr. Cox on Scrubs. Mm-hmm. A tremendous actor. Yep. I, I love him. Love him. And it was, it was cool to hear. He that. was born to do voice acting just because yes. his voice is so over the top and yes. his delivery is so good. And it's actually, it's funny because he's clearly able to, when he plays Dr. Cox on Scrubs, big Scrubs fan oh, here, yeah. uh, when he plays Dr. Krubs, Dr. Krubs, Dr. <laughs> Cox on Scrubs, he's a very over the top, over enunciates everything. Very yes. animated, uh, pun intended, uh, character. Yes. This, you pulled it out right away. You were like, is that Dr. Cox from Scrubs? And I was like, <laughs> maybe. It kind of sounds like him. But you, you were able to identify it immediately. But it's toned down to the point where... It, you know, you probably wouldn't recognize it unless your ears are as good as yours, clearly. But yeah, yeah, it's, it, and then of course him, him playing Adam later uh, comes up in Justice League Unlimited, yeah. so. But I just wanted to mention that because we're such big fans of him as an actor. Sure. And, and because of his future DCAU uh, uh, roles. I Absolutely. Thought it was worth mentioning. But then, yeah, for the, for our cast of villains, it's, what an all-star cast here. <laughs> so playing the roles of each member of the Royal Flush Gang is a member of the Teen Titans animated series and Teen Titans Go, the show that still goes on today. And if you turn on Cartoon Network, you have about a 98% chance of seeing it <laughs> uh, on any given day. Yep. But uh, yeah, you have Scott Menville as King, uh, of course, who plays Robin on Teen Titans. You had Tara Strong, Raven, Batgirl. You know, you know who Tara Strong is if you're listening to this podcast. For sure. Uh, playing Queen, you have Hinden Walsh playing uh, Ace, of course with Starfire. Um, also played Harley Quinn on The Batman, so oh, she's okay. uh, she's done. I mean, another you know tremendous uh, voice act actress with a you know, a resume that's a mile long. Sure, but uh, and then we have Carrie Payton as uh, I almost said a cyborg because that's that's, <laughs> that's who he is. Um, <laughs> But uh, he plays Ten in this episode. Uh, you would also maybe know him from his role on The Walking Dead. There you go. Um, and then you have uh, Greg Sipes, aka Beast Boy, as Jack. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's and we you mentioned we didn't watch this episode when it originally aired or, or have it on videotape, so we didn't see this until uh, whatever year those DVDs would have come out. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever Warner Brothers Home Entertainment started releasing all the. DCAU shows on on DVD. So when we watched this episode for the first time, it was probably several years after it had aired. But hearing, it's like slowly realizing because I think the first voice you hear is Carrie Payton's is ten. You're like, oh, that's Cyborg's voice. That's cool. 
and then like a minute later you hear King and you realize it's Robin uh, Scott Menville and you're like oh my god they're the Teen Titans <laughs> and it's like this slow reveal where each of them are taught like introduced in this little documentary style video that the Joker has put together explaining their backstory um, and that, that so it's really cool to have all five of them there and have them play these you know completely different roles than the characters they play you know they're they aren't there aren't heroes at all. They're they're straight up villains, and seeing them sort of play the antithesis of the characters we're used to hearing them play, I thought was was really cool. And then other than that, we have, of course in a minor role as you mentioned, but we have Arlene Sorkin, who again, as far as real world chron- chrono- chronology, yeah, that's a uh, this is her last time playing Harley Quinn in the DCAU. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did come back to voice her in the Arkham Asylum video game. But as far as the DCAU goes, this was her final time uh, voicing her. And she's great in yes. the small role she's in. And it's one of the things, every time we hear her do Harley, you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's what Harley's supposed to yep. sound like. <laughs> and I, I really like when she and Batman have the argument on the roof. And she's like, he's changed now. We've been to cu- couples counseling. <laughs> uh, so good. It's so funny. That was a great line. Um, and then, of course, as you mentioned, perhaps the goat. We have like three or four people that we refer to as the goat this on the show. One of the goats. Uh, Mark Hamill. He's on the, the Mount Joker. Rushmore. Yes. If we're doing a Mount Rushmore of the DCAU voice acting, he's he's up there. Absolutely. Um, and he's really good. Again, we almost get more of the Joker that we heard in Return of the Joker, where he's more overtly sinister and evil here than I feel like even his appearance in like Injustice for All or or certainly in the original Batman the Animated Series when we talk about something like uh, you know an episode we reviewed last month, like The Laughing Fish. And then you see him here in all his sinister evilness, and you remember just how terrible of a person, of a of a threat this guy is. Um, and he really plays up the sinister side. We don't even really get like a classic Joker laugh in this episode. No, you're right. But he does, and I think part of that is because you really, especially by the end when you realize he's manipulated this little girl into, uh, you know, attacking the entire country... Uh, you really play up that sinister, more, you know, raspy, evil side of the Joker's voice. And them deciding to do an entire episode for for three quarters of the episode, or if not, if not, I don't know, 95% of the episode, you have the Joker doing narration yes. over what you're watching, which, <laughs> quite frankly, I would watch an entire run of cartoons with the joker just narrate, <laughs> narrating every episode he doesn't have to be the villain in the right. episode just as if he's narrating what's going tunes on for like- <laughs> yeah yeah i don't care mark hamill as the joker narrating things i'm i'm all all in for that, that. great uh it was yeah i mean and, and you could chalk that up in plot but uh, you know and as far as the voice the, the voice acting man uh, he is great and you mentioned it's funny I, I didn't even realize it until you just mentioned it but yeah no classic joker laugh or or anything like that but he's he's sinister he's funny in this episode there's there's a part where he tells where batman's on the volcano and he tells the joke about things are heating up and he's he's they're deadpanning looking at two cameramen who are all who are in return deadpanning him back and he's like it's funny laugh <laughs> it's like he's standing next to a volcano and there's nothing and then he's like laugh and they and then they start to laugh and then he, they laugh for what is obviously way too long and he's like oh cut it out nobody likes a brown nose <laughs> it was really really good uh, yes. He 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 brings this episode. I mean, and if everybody else could have sucked in this episode, and yeah. and I think that I still would have probably given this score. With that said, I think that. 
this is uh, Maria Canellas's best yeah. best performance. We didn't even get into the full cast yeah, here, saying, obviously. Obviously, the full cast of Justice League of the main Justice League cast. We have Kevin Conroy's Batman, Phil Lamar's Green Lantern, Michael Rosenbaum as the Flash, George Newbern as Superman, and as you mentioned, kind of the 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 star of of this episode as far as the main cast goes uh maria canales is hawk girl and and she doesn't even get a majority of screen time the right. majority of screen time we get it this is a batman episode <laughs> with the flat with with the yeah. rest of the justice league sort of included in it, it feels like at times yes. but it it really she does a great job in the beginning and she does a great job in the middle and she does a great job at the end when her character is featured. You know, I, I yeah. think that she was able to communicate some emotion. She's not the cold warrior. You can see that the, which is ironic based on what we know is coming in the next episodes yes. where she kind of slips back into that cold warrior mode. But the the fact that she has, she flexes her, actress acting ability mm-hmm. here here and is able to sort of inject some emotion into things and soften a little bit and and uh, show some care for John is uh is is really good and I think Phil Lamar is really good in turn in turn yes. with that the chemistry that they have at times I feel like has not always been there it feels sometimes like Phil Lamar Phil Lamar has to sort of carry her and in, therefore it kind of forces him to overact a little bit but I yeah. feel like the scene that they have especially that final scene in the watchtower is really great yeah they and i think that speaks to and we've talked about this a lot over the the couple of years now that we've been doing the show but the uh advantage of having your actors in the studio recording at the same time um and i think them being able to play off each other directly really helped in this case and and again that that again the whole episode is kind of building to it it opens as you mentioned with them kind of having an argument about how to hack into a bank account or something and escalates from again him saving her from an explosion and then her you know feeling this mix of dread and relief as she he almost died without her ever telling him how she truly felt and and yeah there's a lot of different emotions of you know love and 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 passion but also of sorrow and regret and all that it's a lot to get into which also basically all has to come from the voice acting obviously the visual can be part of it but uh when when it comes to the actual acting of the scene um you have to you you really need your voice actors to bring it and and they certainly did um and like like we mentioned i really liked michael rosenbaum this episode as well i thought even though again that that little flash subplot of him kind of being dumb and not knowing what kind of feeling almost out of place like he doesn't quite feel like he belongs in the stopping the bomb plot and then him being kind of the big hero at the end of that. I thought, I thought Michael Rosenbaum did a nice, nice job with that. And yeah, just some of the other little lines from, from Mark Hamill of like, <laughs> there's every once in a while, they will be like in the middle of a fight scene. They'll want to cut to a different fight scene, but since it's supposed to be, you're watching this as it's happening on TV, they have to have the Joker do transitions. Yeah. So it's like there's one where he's like, much as I don't want to miss any of Batman's whooping. <laughs> and uh, one where he talks about how much he's enjoying watching uh, Ten and King pummel the Flash. Yep. And I think those are really, really enjoyable as well. So, yeah, really, really great job. And because of not only the great guest cast, but as you mentioned, the the great performances by our, our main actors, I had no choice but, of course, to give this a 10 out of 10. <laughs> 
Well, it's ironic here that uh, the Royal Flush Gang was just missing a 10 at this point, <laughs> but uh, we are both awarding them a pair of 10s well, because uh, I am also giving voice acting a 10 out of 10. Yeah, it's uh, this is this is a great showcase for everybody, and yeah. I think that it's uh, well-deserving of a perfect score, which uh, I guess, Liam, will lead us to our final scores, uh, tallying everything up here. I end up with a final score, a very impressive 34 out of 40. What about you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I also, mm. in fact, end up with a final score of 34 out of 40. No better way to end the year of 2019 <laughs> than with an exact same score. Yes. Uh, just a reminder, we do not share our scores with one another. Never. In fact, this is the first episode in history that I have not had my scores prepared before we started broadcasting this episode. Oh, I scored on the, I scored on the fly. So Same, same. Uh, yep. We're just, we're that in sync. But uh, yeah, I guess that will bring us to, uh, to rewatchability, Liam. Uh, I would give this a, it's because not only of the of the plot moving forward in the Hawkgirl and Green Lantern storyline, but also just because it's a great Joker showcase. Mark yes. Hamill is so so good, and it's such a it's a fun episode. On top of that, I don't know if we properly communicated that, but this is a very fun episode to behold. Absolutely, and and for all the reasons we mentioned, especially if you're if you're gearing up for Stark to rewatch or watch Starcross for the first time. This is a really important episode for what is one of the major plots in that episode. As much as that is a, a story about the entire Justice League and about Hawkgirl, uh, you know, kind of at the very heart of that episode and of the finale of that episode, which, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get to review someday, mm-hmm. um, is is that, that love story between Hawkgirl and Green Lantern. And so this is a really important part of that, you know, very important chapter, obviously, in, in that storyline. So, yeah, definitely a, a thumbs up when it comes to rewatchability here. Fantastic. All right, Liam, well, that will bring us to the end of this week's episode. Before we do our usual shill, I would like to say happy anniversary, buddy. This is our two-year anniversary anniversary of this podcast. We've made it through two years. Uh, Definitely, by the way, if you're interested in hearing some of our original episodes, check out the archives at dcaureview.com. You can also, of course, find all of our episodes on whatever podcast app you listen to, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, of course, or you can just type in DCAU Review on Google, and one of those other podcast places will likely have our, our feed carried as well. Uh, but it's been a, been a great two years, and uh, we have a lot we're excited for in 2020. We've already got some plans in place for what we're looking forward to, yes. which is a great segue, Liam, to talk about what we're doing for the month of January. Do you, you want to share with our listeners what we're doing for the month of January? I absolutely do, and as is, we are kicking off a new year, in fact, a new decade. There you go. And we are kicking off that decade by returning to the future the future liam yes all the way to the year two i mean to the year whatever (laughs) 50 years from now whenever now is that's right we're going back to batman beyond and we will be kicking that off with the episode hidden agenda which is in fact the first appearance of max okay so that's a pretty important episode to the rest of that series so looking forward jumping back into the futuristic gotham it's been a while absolutely don't forget also to follow us on instagram we're at dcau review where we usually post previews maybe some highlights during the week things that we found exciting happening in the world of dc you never know what's going to pop up on that so make sure you follow us on there and uh yeah i guess that will bring us to the end of this week's episode i'm cal and i'm liam and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the dcau review adios happy new year